We'll turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. That's where we'll be this morning. Elijah has come on the scene, our prophet. There's been others, and I think it's good to understand that prophets, when they're spoken of in the Scriptures, oftentimes um, there's different kinds, it seems like. There's the prophets that are the ones that hear from the Holy Spirit and are hidden, hiding in caves and kind of go out and share once in a while, and then they disappear for months to years at a time, and then they come back out, which is kind of where Elijah falls in. And then there's the school of the prophets, which is more like probably just those everyday regular pastor kind of guys, you know, that are always around. And um, you'll see a difference here in chapter 18. Those guys, a lot of them are dead now because of Ahab and Jezebel. A lot of those folks have been taken out. Ahab and Jezebel are the uh, leaders of the northern tribes here in, in this split that they have. And uh, it's, uh, it's, the whole nation's gone south. Um, it's, it's gone very poorly for them as they begin to worship other gods and, and, uh, and bring in Baal worship and Asherah and all these other forms other than the true and living God. So they are as far from God as the nation of Israel has been. And, um, and they're doing better and better and better at it. They're practicing it. Um, and so in the process of doing that, when you walk away from the true and living God, you, of course, don't want any of his representatives around, and they've all been killed, or many of them have been killed at this point. You got rid of all the pastors, um, which is just what happens. Um, you, you don't want that reminder of the truth in front of you. And that history repeats itself. You'll see that through many different nations that start off as a, a godly nation, a Christian nation, and they begin to move away from those principles and those convictions, and then they begin to remove the people that represent those principles and convictions. And that's where we are. In verse 1, and it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. And so he's got his orders from God, it's time for me to bring the rain back. Um, you're going to pray and I'm going to bring it. But I want you to go find Ahab. Uh, Elijah's been hiding by the brook and then staying with the widow. And we've discussed that already in the former or the previous teachings here, um, 17 and 16 and so on. Uh, so he's been off the scene, but they've been looking for him. They've been trying to find this guy, but nobody can seem to find him. And he could be right there at the gate and God can blind people's eyes so they can't see the person right in front of them. We know that from other stories. Um, but now it's time for him to step on. And so he steps off the scene and steps on the scene at God's will, but it's been three years now. That's a long time between uh, hearing from the Lord. And I don't know if God's spoken to him throughout these three years or not, but he's always ready and he's willing to be used by God at any time. And he's not worried that he wasn't used yesterday or the day before or the last week or the month he just waits until God's ready to use him. He may use other people throughout these other times when he's not being used. And he's not concerned about that. He's concerned about his ministry and what God's called him to do. And then when God calls him to step out, he steps out faithfully and does what he's called to do. It's a, it's a very simple thing to be a servant to the Most High God. You wait till he rings the bell. That's all it is. You be prepared. You be ready. You keep your eyes wide open. You have your ducks in a row not so entangled with the things of the world that you can't be used when he rings the bell, but always ready. And Elijah was always ready. 
And so this is a great victory this week. I love chapter 18. Chapter 19, not so much, but we won't get there today, so we don't have to worry about that. But chapter 18 is a great victory for Elijah and for God and for um, and, and a terrible defeat for the enemy. And it's a wonderful thing to see. I'm ready to send rain, God says. So go present yourself to Ahab. Show yourself. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. And there was this severe famine in Samaria. So it's been three years now since they've not allowed the rain. And, and, and it takes time for that. Remember we said God's making him thirsty. He's trying to get him thirsty. And it's one thing to stop the rain for a while, but you got to go through their supplies because you know they bat- prepping has been around forever, you know. You know these guys have cisterns. You know they've got jars. You know they've got stuff stashed away. And that's fine. We're going to stop the brook. And we're going to dry up the land. But now we've got to wait for you to deplete your resources that you have so that you're really in a place where you can hear from the Lord. We've got to get you to that place. There is no way to out-prep God. When God wants to bring a nation to their knees, when he wants to bring a people closer to him, he can wait all day long until all your bullets run out. Till all your food runs out. Doesn't matter whether you have a 20-year supply or a 10-year supply or a three-year supply. Whatever they're trying to sell you in the dehydrated form, believe me, God can wait it out. And he'll wait. Or if he doesn't want to wait, he'll just send a bunch of people to take it from you. And then all of a sudden it gets spread out amongst the community that you didn't intend to feed. The idea is God wants to get a hold of us, wants to get a hold of our hearts. He can do it. And he'll do it in his time. And I want to be open to that. We all want to be open to that. So there was a severe land or severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Statement about Obadiah. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. He was a believer. Remember that. We've got believers. Not everybody has gone the way of Baal. Not everybody has forsaken the Lord. Their leadership has the populace has for the most part, but there are many, many that haven't. Remember we talked about that last week. When Elijah prophet steps on the scene, he's either the beautiful fragrance of life. I know it's Christ, but we're going to say life because Christ isn't around here yet. Or he's the fragrance of death. Hearing from God, hearing his word, having the name of Jesus come off your lips is either going to be a blessing to some or a curse to others. And so this guy, when Obadiah hears that God is at work, and Elijah has prayed, and the rain has stopped. He fears the Lord. He's excited about this. He's happy to see the Lord move. Obadiah Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for so it was, while Jezebel Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord. Those are those everyday pastor kind of prophets. That Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. He's that kind of guy, you know. Hides him out. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, so he calls Obadiah to himself and says, here's what we're going to do. Go into the land, to all the springs of water, to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him. And he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my Lord, Elijah? He said to him, It is I. Go tell your master Elijah is here. 
So, I mean, there's not much to that. He's divided up. He's doing what he's supposed to do. He's still obeying his boss. That's a tough thing. That's a tough thing when you've got an Ahab for a boss. Um, many of us have worked in different kind of jobs, different positions. Some of us had good bosses at times. Some of us have had bad bosses at times. Um, it's the Ahabs that are difficult. But regardless of who they are, God has called us to serve, to be a representative of him and himself to them. Um, when Christ came to the earth as a living example, God, uh, God's expressed image here on earth, walking around, it didn't matter whether he was in front of the Ahabs or whether he was in front of the disciples, he was the same. The ministry needed to be the same. For some, he was the stench of death. To others, he was the fragrance of life. But regardless, he was who he was supposed to be. And so was Elijah and so was Obadiah. It's a good example for us. He's the same. And so we need to be the same. There's no justification for rebellion just because you have an Ahab for a boss. You don't get to talk about him behind their back. Walked into Casey's today to get my Diet Mountain Dew this morning because of the wonderful daylight savings time. And so I'm walking in, and as soon as I hit the door, the, the, the whole crew is chattering, you know, at the top of their lungs like there's nobody else in the room talking about this girl and that girl and that leader and this, this manager and that manager. I'm just, I mean, all the way back to the soda and all the way back and finally I come up and place it there on the counter. And she's still, she's ringing me up, still just da 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 I thought we were going to go at it out there in the park. And I'm just sitting there going, you even know what you're doing here? You know? And she didn't even ask me if I was doing Casey's rewards or not. You know, they're always asking me. I'm saying, no. I'm not doing Casey's rewards. But I didn't even get the chance to tell her, no, I'm not doing it. You're not tracking my spending. Communist. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Casey's rewards are great. But I don't like finding the card or the app or the phone number and all that. It's like, no, it's, it's like three cents. Forget it. I, I'm moving on here. Too busy talking about her Ahab boss or in her opinion. And there's no justification for that, for the Christian anyway. There's no reason for that. We can't say that. Just because they're bad doesn't mean we get to talk about him. So anyway, Obadiah doesn't. He does what he's supposed to do. He's going to find grass. In the process of finding grass, he finds Elijah. Now they've been looking for Elijah. It says here, so he said, you, no, I'm going to paraphrase, you want me to go tell my boss that I found you. And so he said, how, how have I sinned? Obadiah says, you're delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me. As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go to tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord uh, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. He will kill me. Uh, the, the short version of that is, I'm going to walk away, and you're going to disappear, and I'm going to get in trouble if I tell him you're here, and you're not here when I come back. This is his long way of saying, you're going to be here, right? You know, 
I'm going to go get him and bring him back. And you're not going to go open a whirlwind or a chariot or anything like that. Some sort of, so apparently he's got kind of a reputation for just kind of vanishing off the face of the earth. So I don't know if this has happened in the past or not, because we know how he goes here in the end. Um, well, maybe you don't, but spoiler alert, it's, it's an interesting uh, weather event. Um, so he's like, you're going to disappear. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. I'll be here. I'll be here. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And that's how they saw him. You're that prophet of God that's causing all the troubles, stopping all the rain, getting in the way of all of our fun. I mean, he doesn't say all that, but that's the idea behind it. As a person of God, you're the troubler. They're the ones living in sin. They're the ones reaping the benefits of their sin. They're sowing, they're reaping, they hate what they're reaping, but they still want to sin, but they blame God for not killing all the weeds that they're planting in their own lives. That's basically how it is. I want to live the life I want to live, but I don't want to, I don't want to crop. I don't want to reap a crop of all the things I'm planting in my life. I want to have a great life, a godly life. I want to be rich. I want to be happy. I want to be joyful. I want to have peace. I want to sleep well. I don't want to have any ailments or sicknesses. And I want to sin as much as I want to sin. Is that on the table? No, it's not. And when it's not on the table and you go ahead because you're not so sure you care about the joy, the hope, and all the other things you talked about, but you are sure you want to sin your whole life, that's when you get mad at the people of God. That's when you get mad at God himself. How come I can't have all these blessings that are associated with you and be in complete rebellion against you? And to them, that makes sense. That's a perfectly valid argument for them. And it's difficult to talk to people about those things. So let me get this straight. You want to murder and not go to jail. Basically, yeah. That's not an option here. Ahab wants to know why. Are you the troubler of Israel? We were fine, blames him. And so he answers him, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's have troubled, house have. You and your father's house have. In that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now there are ba- several different kinds. You take your choice. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. The 450 pa- prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So it's a, it's a showdown is what this is going to be. I want you to meet me on top of Mount Carmel. Bring all your prophets, all 450 of the Baal prophets, and bring all 400 of the Asherah. So bring all 850 of your guys that are eating at your table that you provide for, and then I'm going to come. So meet me there. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. It's a good question. That's the question. You choose life or do you choose death? Which path do you follow? Do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? Well, I want to go to heaven. Okay, well, the path to heaven, I mean, anybody knows that. Do you want to go to California or do you want to go to Florida? Maybe that's a better way to put it. Well, I like, I like the Pacific Ocean. I want to go to California. Well, you don't go east. 
Well, you could go east, but it'd be a long swim afterwards. You get to the end of Florida, you got to keep going all the way around. If you want to get to California, you got to go west. And there's several highways you can choose from. If it's in the wintertime, you want to steer clear of 80. If it's in the summertime, you want to steer clear of that southern route. Is that 40, I think? Bad. You know. But whatever you do, you got to go this way. You got to go west. So many people say, I want to go to heaven, but I do not want to go the way that you're telling me to go. Fine, then go east. But it does not end up in California. Fine, don't worship God, but it does not end up in heaven. If you don't want Jesus in your life, that is completely your choice. You have the option, you have free will, reject Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You don't have to trust in him. You don't have to follow him, you don't have to do anything, but don't expect to go to heaven then. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There no man comes to the Father but by him. So you cannot get to God without him. And that's just one of those real talks that you have to have with people sometimes. You've got to go west if you want to go to California. You can't get to California any other way. If you want to get to God, you've got to go through Jesus. Guys, you're faltering between two. You're stuck there in Omaha. You know, I don't know which way to go, west or east. Well, you're not going anywhere sitting there, and you're definitely not getting to California if you don't start traveling down that road. Some people think that just by not making a decision, it's all going to work out. Poof, I'm in California. If I stay in Omaha and I don't make a decision to follow Christ or reject Christ, when I die, poof, there I am. No, you aren't. You are not in California. You are in Omaha. You are east of your destination. You will never make it got to have Christ. Stop faltering between two opinions. Stop trying to worship God your way and have your own sin. They would not answer him a word. So he's going to put it out for them. There's nothing they can do about it. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. Don't be lighting the fire yet. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. Then you call in the name of your gods and I will call in the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Let's just find out who's real. Build your little altar over there. You do your thing over there. And if it gets consumed by fire from God without you lighting it, no matches allowed, then yours is God. But if mine gets consumed by fire, then my God's God. And there we have it, right? Simple. Unbelievable. So all the people answered and said, it is well-spoken. So they're excited for this. I mean, who wouldn't be? I'd be there. This is going to be good, you know. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bowl for yourself. You guys go first, he says. And prepare it first, for you are many. And call in the name of your God, but put no fire under it, no matches. So they took the bowl which was given them, and they prepared it. And called in the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. And there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. So now they're getting emotional. 
And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them. He's sitting over there. Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he's meditating or he's busy or he is on a journey or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe we need to wait a little bit longer. Maybe he's on a journey. Call a little louder. So he's mocking them. So, the, so that's allowed. We can do that. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. It's an interesting thing. God is spirit. Let me read to you that. John chapter 4, verse 21, starting in verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. This is the woman at the well. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. There's more to that statement than I think we understand, a lot of people anyway. If you're going to worship a God who is spirit, you have to be in the spirit. That's what being born again is. Being born again is having your spirit revived from the dead. You've got to be born again. Jesus was telling Nicodemus in John chapter 3, I know you want to know what I'm talking about, but you cannot understand the things of the spirit unless you're born again. You've got to be born again. You cannot do it in the flesh. You cannot do it with your soul, your emotions. You have to have the spirit awakened within you. That's something I do. I baptize you with the Spirit. I bring the Spirit back to life. It's a work that I do in your life. You receive me as your Lord and Savior, and all of a sudden you're born again. And now you can have the true worship that you've never had before. What we're seeing here, really, with these other prophets, is you're seeing fleshy worship, seated in the flesh, and you're seeing their emotional worship. They're doing everything physical, but they cannot reach God because they're not doing it in the Spirit. Because there is no God like our God. Our God is spirit. Their God is not. He's a stone thing. He's a wooden thing. He's something that they've made. He can't speak. He can't see. He can't hear. And in the process of worshiping a God like that, that does not speak to them, does not hear them, and does not see them, they've become just like him. They can't see. They're deaf. And they don't know what to say. Christians can fall into the same camp sometimes, or they'll call themselves Christians, and they begin to worship God in flesh and in emotion, but they're not born again. And so they have no true fellowship with God. They're trying to worship God with the flesh by attendance or by emotion, by jumping around and dancing and doing sacrifices to themselves, going through sacraments or whatever it may be. But because they're not born again, they cannot worship God who can only be worshipped by the Spirit. It's futile. It's no different than what we're seeing here with these Baal worshipers. They're crying aloud. They're dancing around. They're getting louder and louder. But there's nothing taking place. 
Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him. Why? Because he's not going to shout. He's not going to jump up and down. He's not going to make a spectacle. He's going to have a very simple, quiet prayer, and they need to come closer so that they can hear it. We're going to see this in chapter 19 next week also. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the, of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, not 10. Remember where he is. He's up in Ahab kingdom. Ahab split. 10. He took 12, because they should all be together, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two sehas of seed. That's going to be a moat later on. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. And he also filled the trench with water. So let's just not, let's just take the, the, the whole you know, nature out of it, all the physics out of it. This is an impossibility we can all agree on now. There's no way to explain away what's about to happen. It's amazing how we explain away the Red Sea. We explain away the five loaves and the two fish for the feeding of the 5,000. As Christians, we're excited to explain it away because miracles just look foolish to the world. So let's just try to explain it away because that's always a hindrance for them because they can't quite grasp it. When that's exactly what God wants to do, I can bypass all the laws that I wrote, all the laws of nature that I made that can't be in existence unless they were created and written by me. I'm going to bypass all those because I can. That's a very important thing for us to know. God is not bound by the laws that he has written for nature. I can go past that. Five loaves, two fish. There's not enough material. There's not enough matter. How can we do this? I don't pay attention to those laws. Those are for you. I'll take five loaves and two fish and feed as many people as I want to. We didn't have to stop at 5,000. So let's dump some water in it so no one can say, well, maybe he hid a match in there or something. No, no, it's completely soaked. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that the people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again, period. No exclamation point, so he's quiet. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. That's a different kind of church service, wasn't it? Look how loudly they're proclaiming the Lord. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. It doesn't last long. 
What a spectacular moment. What a mountaintop experience. What an amazing miracle to witness. Eyewitnesses. We saw it. We saw it. We're so excited. This is amazing, but it's not going to last, and they're going to need another miracle and another miracle and another miracle and another miracle to keep their faith going. Our faith, our walk with the Lord is not about that mountaintop. Those are wonderful, and I think you should have those whenever God brings you to that place. That moment when the Holy Spirit fills you and you can't stop weeping and you ask him to stop because you're overflowing with joy. You're too aware of his presence. You can't stand it anymore. My cup is full, you know. Stop, Lord. Those are great. But it's by faith. It's by faith. It's the valleys. It's walking, trusting, knowing, without the miracles, without any reassurance that he's ready to bring down fire on anybody or anything in your path. Another scripture, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's all about faith, and that's without seeing. That's without witnessing the spectacular miracle of fire coming down on a soaked sacrifice. Far more important, so many People, including Christians, are looking for the fire to come down and wipe things out or to cast out this or to do that or the other thing. And it's, it's weak faith because there's no faith needed. It's right there in front of you. There's the evidence. A strong believer walks by faith, not by the miracles. The miracles are there to prove that they can trust in the God who's speaking to them, but the things he's speaking haven't come to pass yet. If I'm a Christian who's constantly looking for fire coming down or deliverance or feeding of the 5,000, I keep showing up for these miracles. What Christ has asked me to do is to trust that he's come to come back for me and take me home to a place that he's prepared for me. And I'm never going to see that until it happens. And if I'm not prepared to receive that, trusting in him before that happens, then I'm not going to get there. It's by faith we come to Christ. The miracles, the things that the prophets do are only to get the attention for what he's going to ask them to believe in without seeing. Little things. These are minor things. A healing? It's minor. Who cares if you're healed physically if you're going to hell? I want to heal you physically, not because I I want you to walk whole down here. Lazarus didn't come back to the dead because it was better for him. Jesus didn't raise him up. It was just for everybody to see that Jesus could do it. I have, I have, I rule death. I can bring big people back to life. Now, what I'm about to tell you is really important. Now that you know that I can bring people out of the grave, and there he is sitting there mumbling to himself. I don't know why they woke me up. Now I'm going to tell you that I'm going to die on the cross pretty soon, and you need to know that, and you're all going to weep and mourn, but in three days I'm going to rise from the dead just like this guy over here. And I'm going to get up, and I'm going to present myself to everybody, and then I'm going to ascend into heaven, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and those who believe in me, I'm going to take you to that place. Now, if those people don't work from seeing this raised from the dead guy, Lazarus, to trusting in the words of Jesus Christ, they're not going to heaven. You've got to believe on Jesus. You've got to trust him for salvation. That has to happen in your heart. I'll believe it when I see it. You're not going to see it. 
He's not going to take you up there and say, that was the mansion I did build for you. That was the place that you were going, but you didn't believe me before you came up here. So it's kind of a U-turn thing. Head back down. You're going to Florida. Poor Florida. Kind of picking on them today. So he executes all the prophets of Baal, all by himself. I mean, in the sense that he's got, the, I don't know what they're thinking. As far as the crowd goes, as far as Ahab goes, as far as Jezebel goes, Jezebel's not going to be happy about this. There's a power struggle going on, and they just lost. When Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to, to the servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, There is a cloud as small as the, a man's hand rising out of the sea. Seven times. He's been praying and he's praying and he's praying, God bring the rain, God bring the rain, God bring the rain. Would you check and see if there's any clouds? You know, nothing yet, boss. Keeps going until finally says, there's a little tiny cloud about the size of a, guy, a man's hand. That's it. Good enough. So he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. That's faith. This is going to get bad fast. Run. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. And then we're going to go from there next week. Final scriptures, James chapter 5. He talks about... Well, hopefully what we've learned today, beginning in verse 13. It is, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him uh, with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced fruit, produced its fruit. James is trying to get it across to the Christians in the first century here, that your faith is as good as Elijah's. We like to read about these guys and think, well, those are extraordinary circumstances, amazing things, you know. No, these are just men that, who were prepared to do whatever God asked them to do when he asked them to do it. Elijah, I want you to go by the brook. He goes by the brook. I want you to go to the widow. I want you to go to the widow. I want you to go down and talk to Ahab. He goes down and talks to Ahab. Very simple stuff. God doesn't ask him to come up with theology. He doesn't ask him to come up with the food to create the water. He says, I'm going to do all of that stuff. I just need you to be my mouth. I just need you as a prophet to simply say what I tell you to say. And James is telling us we have the same 
faith. We have the same relationship with God as Elijah does. I hope we know that today. I hope we walk like that. I hope our faith is so strong that it's like Elijah's, that he was willing to just hear God's word and obey it, knowing that it would come to pass. Whereas the rest of Israel all had to be showed or shown. Here's what it looks like. Here's what it happens, you know. We want to have that walk. Today we're going to have communion. It's our, our time to have that. And as we share this bread and this juice with each other, and as we talk about the communion of the Lord, it's important we understand why it is that we do what we do. This is a reminder, Jesus says. As long as you eat this bread, as often as you drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me. We're to remind ourselves that he died on the cross for our sins. And he wanted us to have this moment with each other and with him so that we wouldn't ever forget that it was his work on the cross. This is the faith we have. We eat this bread and we drink this cup, not because it's some sort of magical sustaining force that's going to keep us saved and get us to heaven someday. Some people believe that. It doesn't. This is a reminder that 2,000 years ago on the cross, Jesus did once for all what they couldn't do for themselves. We were separated from God because of our sins. It demanded justice. It demanded a verdict. It demanded a sentence. And instead of us paying that price, instead of us being on death row, Christ took our penalties for us. He went instead of us. Placed all of our sins on him. And then executed his own son in our name. The reason we remember that is not because we want to make sure we leave church upset, sad, bewildered, frustrated with our own sin. That's not the point. The point is the next step. If he was able to transfer all of our sins to Christ, and Christ died on the cross, and this is all according to his word, the same God that just told Elijah to do what he did, told us the same thing. I'm going to put all of your sins on this one person, my son, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to execute him, and he's going to be the propitiation for your sins. That means, at my word, you need to believe that your sins are forgiven because of what I did to my son on your behalf. Okay? But Jesus also died and rose again and ascended into heaven, and that's what Paul is talking about when he says, if I died with Christ which I hope we all believe this morning, and if you don't, you need to, that I'm also going to rise with Christ. So many Christians walking around in this limbo state, in this place between believing in Jesus and actually seeing heaven and staying there, no U-turns, in California, if you remember the story, we're in this place in between walking by faith right now. And Jesus says, I want you to remind yourself as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, that as surely as I died on the cross for your sins, you will surely be in heaven with me, if you believe that. And so although I'm sad that he had to die for my sins, but very happy that he did, and that's a conflict that you have, you know. I sure wish I hadn't have gotten myself into trouble, but I'm sure glad you saved me from it, you know. As surely as he died on the cross for my sins, I am going to heaven when I die. There's no wondering in my heart. And this to this morning is a reminder of that, that this is representative of his broken body, broken for us. I'm going to the cross instead of you. And so when you eat this bread, 
Be remembered. Re- remind yourself of that. When you drink this cup, this is my shed blood for you. You're not going to have your blood shed. My blood was shed for you. Do this in remembrance. And as surely as I died for you, and I'm preparing a place for you, I will return for you, and I will take you to that place. I am going to heaven. You are going to heaven. What if I mess up in between there and here? I mean, what if I sin somewhere in between here? The blood of Jesus and this broken body cover all of our sins, past, present, and future. The ones I did, the ones I'm doing, the ones I'm going to do. He says that. That's not me. That's not Calvary doctrine. That's not a Calvary Chapel thing or a denominational thing. That's a scriptural thing. He said that. that all of my sins, not one of them is left. That I'm as righteous in the Father's eyes as his son was righteous in his eyes. We don't get it. It's like, I, I, you not see my sin anymore. I don't. That's his word, not ours. And so when we eat and drink, please enjoy this. Remind yourself of this and go through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday next week, living this with joy in your heart, telling the world that they can have this same peace, same assurance of everlasting life as you have. But they've got to believe in Jesus first. Lord, we thank you for this bread. We thank you for this cup. Thank you that you gave us this because you knew we'd need to remind, because we go through the scenarios in our mind. We argue with ourselves. Our flesh is, and Satan is accusing us constantly. But we have these moments to remind ourselves not of what they're saying or what I'm saying about myself, but what have you said about me. And your word says that I'm going to heaven because I've trusted in your son, Jesus. I've placed all my eggs in that basket. And I can. So we hold on to your word this morning. We're reminded of your word. We believe in your word without seeing your word come to pass yet, but believing it will. By faith, we have this bread and this cup in our hands and we eat and drink. and We pray that it brings you glory. In Jesus' name. So we're happy. We're joyful. We hate sin. We're kind of broken this morning. So we're going to break our cups in honor of the fact that we're kind of broken vessels, but we carry Christ with us. And through all those cracks and all those flaws in our lives, those imperfections that Christ has healed, his grace and his mercy will flow from our lives into their lives, we hope. That's our, that's our hope. So let's be broken vessels this week. One, two, three. Have a good rest of the week, guys. If you need prayer before you go, please come up and get prayer.